good evening. Um, my name's Debbie. I'm married to John, and uh, we lead this church with an amazing team. And um, I want to continue in this series that um, David Miller, Dave Miller, kicked us off with last week. He talked about being a worshiping church. And so we're talking about being church. And tonight, I want to talk about being a naturally supernatural church. Um, now, last week in worship here in the evening service, in the midst of the worship, my John gets up and interrupts Ronnie and Sam, who are leading us in worship, and he uh, talks to you all about the fact that he believes that the Holy Spirit's moving and that some of you may want to experiment during the um, singing and sort of raise an arm if you have particularly a frozen shoulder or if you have pain. It turned out that a, a, a gentleman right there in that moment had experienced an amazing freedom from pain, which he just realized in that moment had happened. But during the week, um, Joanne wrote to us and she said this, just wanted to let you know, during the worship on Sunday evening, John came on stage and asked if anyone had a frozen or painful shoulder. Since the previous Monday, my shoulder had been so painful, I couldn't move my arm. I had taken painkillers both day and night and was close to tears with the pain on several occasions. Just before John went on the stage, I was desperately wanting to clap and move my arm. At the end of worship, John asked the people with painful shoulders to raise their hand. I was able to put my arm, my painful arm, straight up high. Amazing. And as I'm sending you this email, I'm virtually pain-free. Amazing. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? So, as you know, we want to be a church um, and the church is not a building, the church is the people. It's you and I who uh, are part of this living community and we want to live naturally supernatural lives. It means that we live every day with a sense of the possibility that God could be speaking or wanting to act through us. Everybody gets to play. Everybody's included, whoever you are, brand new Christian, mature Christian, young or old, all kinds of people, you're all welcome to participate. You have all been invited to accept this incredible identity as God's children. Now, Jesus came to restore our identity, to restore us, not just to reconcile us to God the Father, but to restore us to what that actually means. We are not strangers, we're not victims, we are a people with a message. We're a people who are declaring to the world that all who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. And when we choose to surrender our lives to Jesus, we get restored to what we were originally created to be, children of God, eternal beings, uh, created in the likeness of God. Do you know, God breathed into Adam's nostrils. He blew his breath into his nostrils, filled him with his spirit. And we're to live lives full of the spirit of God. So when we say, come Holy Spirit, what we're saying is breathe in the presence and the Holy Spirit of God. Because that's what we were designed to be. We were designed to bear his image. Uh, just like um, children sometimes look like or act like their parents, we were designed to act like God. And God is supernatural. We were designed to walk free of shame, to know his absolute and unconditional love for every one of us, and then to reflect that love to the world, to actually be love to those around us and those outside of this building. And as we do it, we follow the leadings of God. We follow his nudges. That's our identity. It's so life-giving. When we start to listen to God, it's not just life-giving to those outside of the church, it's life-giving to one another as well. 
Many years ago, when my son Jordan was um, about 15, 14, 15, he was being um, severely bullied at school. It was so bad that his life was threatened. And I remember we had to have the police over to see if they could protect him in some way, because it wasn't just what was going on in school, but it was what was likely to happen out of school. And his life has been threatened, and they said, well, the problem is, until he's actually stabbed, there's nothing that we can do. And the school couldn't do anything, they couldn't protect him, and Jordan would not tell who these bullies were. He was so terrified of them. So it was like we were trapped in the situation. On one occasion, um, I had a phone call from the school because Jordan had run into the headmaster's office and he wouldn't leave. He wouldn't say why, but he wouldn't leave because he was so terrified of what was going to happen to him um, during school and after school. And in fact, he was very unpopular with his teachers because he couldn't pay attention in class. He was so frightened of what was going to be happening to him outside of the classroom time. And... Um, we had to make the decision, when he began to talk about wanting to die, we made the decision to take him out of school. And um, we had to hire some private tutors, but we could only uh, you know, pay for enough for the minimal, so he just did the basic GCSEs, and then you know, that was the end of uh, his education, because he absolutely hated, as you can imagine, education. But I remember at the time, um, when we'd just taken him out of school and we were so worried, and nobody really knew about this. Obviously, our closest friends knew, but um, there was a woman in the church, a Nigerian woman, and she came and took me aside, and she said to me, uh, God has spoken to me about your son, your youngest son. You mustn't be afraid for him. God has his hand on him. He's going to use him, and he has great plans for his life. And then somebody else wrote to me, and um, they had had a dream about Jordan. Now, this woman knew Jordan when he was very little, but then hadn't been part of the church for years. Again, knew nothing. And she wrote and she told me of this dream, and she said, you know, don't be concerned for him. He's going to be all right. The hand of the Lord is on him. And it was so encouraging. It was life-giving at the time. It helped us. It gave us courage at the time to trust God. And, of course, I can say to this day, yes, the hand of the Lord has been on him, and he's walking with the Lord. In fact, he's here tonight. Um, but, you know, we have an amazing God, and he's speaking, and he's encouraging us through one another. And he's inviting us to join him. It's about following those little nudges, those little senses that we have. And we sometimes don't know if it is God or it isn't, but he's inviting us to take courage and uh, obey him. There was a chap in our church, and he was doing our discipleship year last year, and uh, he's called Dom, Dom Thielen, and Dom is now at Oxford, but while he was uh, here doing discipleship year, on one occasion, he and his friends felt the Lord nudge them to go and stand outside the Queen's Medical Center, and so off they went, and as they were standing there, they came across a guy in a wheelchair called Charlie. And so they didn't know him, but they asked his name, and they started to talk to him, and they ended up praying with him, and he opened his heart to Jesus, and he had this experience of the Holy Spirit. He was so excited about this experience that he'd had that he asked Dom to call his mother. So he gave Dom his mobile phone. He said, call my mum. She's not well, and she could really do with what you know, I've experienced. And so as Dom's calling Charlie's mother, the, um, another couple of men come along up who seem to know Charlie, and they're asking what's going on, and Charlie says to them, you've got to get these guys to pray for you it's amazing and so the other friends uh, that were with Dom started to pray for those guys and while Dom was on the phone another lady comes along and she wants to know what's going on she knows Charlie and Charlie says you've got to get Dom to pray for you uh, it's amazing you're going to have an amazing experience and sure enough uh, Dom was able to lead her to Jesus and uh, she had an amazing experience of the Holy Spirit 
So they responded to God's nudgings. You see, God's kingdom is advancing. God's kingdom is God's perfect will moving forward, expanding across the world. It's been unleashed, and it's about paying attention to his leadings. We get to extend God's kingdom together everywhere in every way, even supernatural ways. We are a sent people. We've been called to come close to God, to be embraced as his children. But as we get close to him, he also sends us out. We've been talking about one of our um, kind of emphases this year, that we want to go deeper with God. But the thing is, when we go deeper with God, we can't help but start to express who he is. And that means we're also a sent people. Jesus sent the 12 disciples out to do what he had been modeling for them, go out and heal the sick. He then sends 72 others out, and he says to them in Luke chapter 10, um, verse 9, he says to them, heal the sick uh, who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. You see, the kingdom of God is close to us, It's around us. As we step into obedience to God, we're stepping into extending his kingdom. His kingdom coming to us, his kingdom around us, we see express the nature of God. It's really close. And when they went out, they saw amazing things and they returned with joy. It is a wonderful thing to live what's in the Bible. It's a wonderful thing not only to learn about what's in the Bible, to actually get to do what we see modeled in the scriptures. Uh, some years ago, um, the team, there was a team from here, and they went out into the city center to pray for the sick, and they used to go out regularly. And um, so they were out in the city center, and a mother came along with her daughter, and the daughter couldn't speak because her mouth was full of ulcers. And um, so they prayed for the daughter, and uh, nothing seemed to happen, and uh, the mother and daughter went on their way. Three weeks later, after three bus rides to get here, because there wasn't trams at the time, the mother and daughter arrive in church to thank the team because within the hour after being prayed for, every ulcer had disappeared. You see, the kingdom is advancing. The book of Hebrews tells us that the kingdom of God is the one unshakable thing. That's God's perfect will being done on earth is going to go on and on and on into eternity. The kingdom, as I said, it's not about a place, it's not about the church, it's not like a castle with walls, it's about God's perfect will being done and realized through us. Every day is an opportunity. Every crisis is a potential breakthrough. We turned up at the cafe one day and there was a friend of ours who occasionally comes in to the services here, but mostly he just uses the cafe uh, to work in. And we turn up one day and he has a stick and he, we said, what's wrong? And he showed us, he pulled up his, his trouser and uh, it was black and blue and he had shingles, which is very serious. And so we took him into the office and we prayed for him. And he not only um, experienced the power of the Holy Spirit, but things like emotional things were dealt with. And before the evening was out, he had called us to tell us that the shingles was disappearing. And then, you know, two days later, it had completely gone. An amazing opportunity. There was a girl who shared her story at one of the baptism services, and it stood out to me. Her name was Vicky. And Vicky had um, felt suicidal. Um, This was before she knew anything about God. She had no background in church, no understanding of who God is. And um, 
on one occasion, she goes out onto one of the ledges of the Victoria Centre, renowned for people jumping off and, and taking their lives. And uh, she's going out because she, she's going to kill herself. But before she actually makes the decision to jump, she slips. And as she's slipping, out of her sort of mind and mouth come the words, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry I'm leaving my children, I'm sorry I'm doing this. She didn't know who she was saying sorry to, but she found herself saying sorry to someone out there. And then she can't hold on to the ledge anymore. She slips, she grabs hold of the ledge, but she's hanging on and she slips and falls down. And basically she goes into a sort of coma um, and she's unconscious for I don't know how long in the hospital. While she's unconscious, she has one of those near-death experiences. And she sees a light, a huge light, and from the light, there's this emanating love, incredible love, and some words that I believe are from the book of John. And um, she is uh, overwhelmed by this experience. And when she wakes up in hospital and recovers, she cannot get this out of her mind. And she starts asking people about this experience she's had, and nobody can give her any answers. And then months later, she's on the bus, and she happens to sit next to somebody in this church. And the young girl sitting next to her begins to talk to her about the Lord. And Vicky opens up and tells her that she had this experience and she's been longing for answers. And the young woman says to her, I think you've met Jesus. Come along to church, come and do an Alpha course. And so Vicky comes along and sure enough, she connects with the person that she's met in that near-death experience. And she comes to faith in Jesus and is baptized. It was an amazing story. Throughout the Old Testament, that's the first half of this book, or maybe more than half, we see supernatural breakthroughs of the kingdom of God, extraordinary interventions, barren women having babies, Jacob wrestles with an angel, a donkey speaks, God speaks to um, Joseph in dreams, we see a bush burning and uh, it doesn't get consumed. We see the seas part to save a nation, a people delivered from slavery, food falling from heaven, the Jericho walls fall down, rain falls in drought. But those things happen once in a while, sometimes hundreds of years pass, and there's silence and no intervention from God. So they're once in a while, and usually for or through a very special person, like Daniel, who um, stood up against uh, authority and, and uh, visibly prayed, and he was put in the lion's den, but the angel of the Lord shut the lion's mouth, and the lions didn't eat him. On another occasion, Moses strikes a rock, and out of the rock comes water for the people of God to drink. Elijah calls on God for fire, fire over wood that has been drenched with water to demonstrate that God is powerful, to show the people who really is the God of the universe, the creator God. Esther, a young woman, puts her life on the line, discerning God's voice and wisdom for a moment and, and following God's leading, and the nation is saved. But then we have the New Testament, the second part of this book, amazing, Jesus' arrival. The Son of God comes, breaks in with the good news of the kingdom of God, and we see incredible interventions again and again and again. He changed everything. He announced the kingdom. It was his main message. And he said to all who believe in his name, in the name of Jesus, that they would see things happen. In Mark 16, verse 17, he says, signs will accompany those who believe. If you're in this room and you believe in Jesus, signs will accompany your life, signs of the kingdom. And he's talking about all who believe. Everybody's included. In verse 19, he said, they will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. We must expect it. 
People will get well when we lay hands on them. When Jesus came, his message was mind-blowing. Surrounding his message was not one miracle, but another and another and another. And he showed power over sickness. He raised the dead. He had prophetic words that were, you know, revelations of the now and the future. He stills the storms. He multiplies bread and fish, feeds thousands. On two occasions, thousands are fed. Captives are set free. Signs and wonders causing people to glorify God, to be amazed at what God is doing. He himself defeated death. He was raised. He's ascended. He sits at the right hand of the Father, uh, calling out for us, but also ruling over the kingdom that will have no end. He ushered it in. It was his main message. But it's very interesting, because before he began to minister, he had been uh, sent by the Holy Spirit after he was baptized into the desert. It was a grueling time, 30 days, uh, with no food. And I don't think any water either, was it? No food. For what? 40 days. 40 days, sorry. 40. 40 days. Thank you, my husband correcting me. I'm getting carried away. 40 days. 40 days. That's extraordinary. Yeah, no food and water. And he's tempted by the devil, and he comes back. But where it says he goes is to Galilee. Now, Galilee, sorry, to Capernaum. Capernaum was known as the Galilee of the Gentiles. It was the place that the Jewish people, the people of God, who believed that they were the special people, they didn't want to live there. It was considered dirty. And yet, Jesus moves out there to Capernaum. The book of Isaiah talks about um, Capernaum, and um, uh, Matthew quotes it in uh, Matthew 15, verse 16. He says, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people in darkness have seen a great light. The people in darkness have seen a great light. You see, Jesus came as the light of the world. When we accept Jesus, we become light, light in the world, light shining in the darkness. And we're not to just keep that light for ourselves. We're to let the world see that light. We're to move the blessings of the light, the experience of Jesus. Jesus did this. He moved the blessing out from the place where people expected it to be, where you would expect to be in a little, you know, safe environment which was just holy and special. No, he moved it out into the world, into the places there people wouldn't expect to see God. And he revealed the kingdom to outsiders like the Samaritan woman, the outcasts, the demoniacs, the leper, even, God, even the enemy of the people of God, the Romans, who were, uh, the Jewish people at the time were under siege by the Romans. And he reveals God and he ministers to a Roman centurion. He was reinforcing everywhere the nature of God, his values, and the fact that God loves all people. My father, David Pitches, used to say this, the meeting place is the learning place for the marketplace. This place here is where we learn. We learn to take risks. We can experiment on each other. We, we, we can fail here. Um, although I have to say, we can fail out there as well, very, very much so. Um, but, but we learn together here so that we can go out into what is called the marketplace. It's not just for here in this room. When Mark Marks was here, um, there was a guy called Thomas who wrote to us after Mark was here. And Mark had talked about, you know, had had different words of knowledge, and he encouraged us to pray for each other. And so the girl sitting next to Thomas prayed for him. He prayed for the girl. But Thomas at the time had 5% hearing in one of his ears. And so at night, he would sleep on the deaf ear, the 5% hearing ear, so that he would wake up to his alarm with his hearing ear, his 100% hearing ear. And, uh, but he realized when he woke up the next morning that he'd been sleeping on his uh, good ear, 
and that he'd woken up to his alarm. And as the day progressed, he, he, could, he realized he was hearing more and more. And he reckons that he was healed up to 80% of his hearing in that ear was completely restored. Do you know, that was happening here and people were getting excited. But what is exciting to me is that people are now taking it outside. We began to hear stories of some of you and what you're doing. And this week, a group of you, uh, led by Dave Miller, Andy Hatherley, a team of folks from here, you went into Costa Coffee in Beeston after hours. About 80 unchurched people, maybe a few more, came and were blessed with a free coffee. They got to hear testimonies. They got to experience the worship. And um, some of them experienced the Holy Spirit as folks prayed for them. There was a guy who had painful knees, and he reckons that the pain was significantly reduced. It sounds like up to possibly four people were led to Jesus that evening. How amazing. I love that, taking it outside of these walls. You know, Jesus didn't come to be the special one. He didn't come to be remembered as the miracle maker. He came as the firstborn. Romans 8.28, Paul says to the church, He was the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. He came to show us what we could live like, what we could be like. You know, we're not saved to be goody two-shoes. I mean, that's just too much effort and too boring. I mean, that's not our ultimate purpose. Of course we want to glorify God by being as good as we can be and, uh, you know, magnify God in our kindness and love and forgiveness of one another and our truth-telling and our integrity. You know, that is absolutely amazing. But if that's all it's about, being good, I can't do it. I just can't. I need to be motivated by something else. We have a purpose. We have an incredible purpose, which is about saving people. Now, it's saving people into the realization of who they really are. You see, we were robbed of our identity at the beginning. When Adam and Eve chose for themselves to disobey God, they gave away what was rightfully theirs. And the enemy has taken hold of what is rightfully ours. Satan has been lying to us. He threatens us. He pretends he has this great power, but that power is our power, power to be used for good, to be used for blessing. In Matthew chapter 9, um, it says this, this, Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out the workers into his harvest field. Bringing in the harvest involves all of us doing a whole lot of different things, everywhere, in every way, being led by the Holy Spirit. Some of you, with a special prompting, you might just be generous to someone. Another of you, again, feeling a nudge, you might share a dream that you had about somebody or a word of encouragement to them. Some of you may just do an act of kindness, decorate someone's home, pick up their luggage for them. Just be a blessing with a smile on your face. Sometimes it's a supernatural interaction. It's stretching out and praying for someone to be healed, responding to a word of knowledge, sharing with somebody that you have a sense that maybe they have this condition. So many different ways. In Matthew 28, Jesus commissions the disciples, and he says to them about those who are going to believe, about those that they're going to save. He says, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. When John Wimber, who was um, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, when he first became a Christian, he started to read the Bible, and he loved what he read. I mean, I remember he was so unchurched that somebody said, you know, there's a, 
there's a, a, a book um, that tells you, you know, there's a book, he said, God's got a book out. And he like, went around trying to find this book and finally finds one. Anyway, he was reading the Bible. And when he goes to church, he goes up to the pastor and said, when do we get to do the stuff, the stuff that's in there? And the pastor said, well, what do you mean by the stuff? And he says, well, do you know, the, the disciples and the people of God, they did these miracles and all these amazing things. When do we get to do it? And the pastor said, well, you know, those are things for then. It's not for now. And it was so disappointing to him. And for years, he kind of had to kind of shut that part of what he had been so inspired about. He had to sort of put it away until one day when the Lord just sort of released him to be a church leader himself and he was able to talk about these things. So we call it doing the stuff, this stuff of the kingdom, this stuff of the Holy Spirit. We use that little phrase in the vineyard, doing the stuff. Now, we were so encouraged when Mark Marks was here, and he told us an amazing story. I want to remind you of it, and I think he only told it in the evening. But he told a story of a, a mother and grandmother who brought um, the, the son, the, the mother's son, to healing on the streets in Coleraine. They'd heard about people ministering on the streets, and they brought their son, and the son was in a wheelchair, and he was incredibly fragile. He'd lost a lot of weight, and I've read the story now um, from a newspaper article. And basically, Mark was telling us that the boy was, um, had tumors the size of golf balls. He was, it was cancerous tumors. One of them was the size of grapefruit. The mother um, told Mark, but hadn't told the boy, that there were, he had weeks to live, and he was incredibly weak. They actually weren't sure whether to bring him at all because he was so weak. And um, they bring him to the team, and uh, the team pray for this boy. And the boy gets up out of the wheelchair. Strength comes to him, and he starts dancing. He never again got back in the wheelchair. He only got in to do a wheelie. And, um, and it was remarkable because months later, he was pronounced by the hospital as cancer-free. And there, there, here's the picture in the newspaper. It says, it says, cured by prayer, Joshua got out of the wheelchair and danced after a visit to healing ministry, say the parents. And there he is looking the picture of health. Just amazing. What an amazing story. Wouldn't it be amazing if we had stories told like that of us, uh, where people were kind of banging on the door, wanting to tell the stories that the Lord is doing amongst churches here in Nottingham? We are invited to be part of this blessing. Now, I have to warn you, warning, you know, it's risky. It can be confusing, just like in the early church. On the one hand, the early church, the disciples of Jesus, when the Holy Spirit came on them, they were a force to be reckoned with. Amazing things happened. But on the other hand, they suffered terrible persecution. On, on the one hand, some of them were delivered from prison. Angels came and opened the doors for them. On the other, some were put to death. Some of them lost loved ones to sickness. They, you could see evidence of them having to take some kind of medicine. Uh, Paul talks about having a thorn in the flesh. And it's the same for us. There's a confusing side to stepping out in faith. We see amazing things, but we don't see it all. And we live in a tension. It's called eschatological tension. You know, it's painful when you have had loved ones who, you know I've, I've know, I've seen here, we've had people dearly loved, full of faith, who have died of cancer in this church. They were the, there were people, if ever there was people full of faith to be healed, it was them. And yet they still died, they weren't healed. Sometimes we think we've heard God, we've heard an instruction, and we were wrong. We were wrong. We were doing our best to follow God's leading, and we were wrong. But God is looking for hearts of obedience. We need to leave the failure with him at his door. We have to bear the tension. It's disappointing. We have unfulfilled expectations. We can be very frustrated. 
there was a guy, I remember, um, we were greatly blessed, but um, the story started with a young man who was very frustrated because he'd had a vivid dream. The dream had details, it had a name, it had a city, and um, he, it was so vivid, but he tried to share it uh, in the place that he was at at the time, and nobody could, um, you know, it just it wasn't relevant to anybody. And so he had to just put it away, and he was kind of disappointed, and he turned up at uh, what was at the time the, the vineyard in Cheltenham. And um, they happened to be talking in their small group about dreams. God gives dreams and how we might interpret those dreams. And he said, oh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't believe in this stuff. It's just it's rubbish. I had a dream once, really vivid. I felt it was from God. It came to nothing. So they said, tell us about the dream. And so he told them about the dream. And they said, well, that's amazing because we know that person. Now, a couple of weeks later, so months had gone by from when he had the dream, but the timing was incredible. Because several weeks later, we were in Winchester, and we sat next to this pastor and his wife. And we sat next to them and said, we've got a message for you. Well, at the time, we were asking God whether we should extend this building. So it was about up to here, and this was all car park. And the church was growing, and we knew we had to do something. And we were really asking God as to whether we should grow. And quite honestly, we hadn't ever been, other than in America, in the UK, we hadn't been in a church this sort of size. And, you know, there was quite a lot of kind of uncertainty and, and questions amongst even our staff team. And so whilst we were praying about this, we actually felt kind of quite alone. You know, if we make this decision to do this, we really need to hear from God. Because, um, you know, this could be really bad if this isn't, isn't from the Lord. So John had laid out on his table um, plans, pictures of this building, and he was drawing the extension himself. And uh, we set off on this journey to Winchester, and actually our conversation on the way down there was, oh God, you've got to speak to us. We sit down at the table, and so this couple, they say, we've got a message for you. This chap in our church had a dream for a John Wright from Nottingham. And in the dream, he says, tell John Wright that the plans for his church are right. Isn't that amazing? So sometimes there are delays and frustrations, and we don't understand but it's in the Lord's hands. We must stay expectant. Greg Thompson uh, was speaking at our, our National Leaders Conference, and he said of the vineyard, on the one hand, there are people full of expectation, but on the other, they don't run away from the suffering. They run straight into the suffering. They come with comfort. They stand by the weak and the needy, the oppressed, the poor, the vulnerable, the chaotic. They love those people, but at the same time, they've got this expectancy. And he said also they have no cynicism, which I thought was wonderful. And I just want to say to you, don't measure God's love by whether you're healed or not. There's nothing more that God could have done than send his son, Jesus, to die for us. It is a measure of his love in one way. It's a sign of his love, but it's not a measure of his love. A sign of his love because he's, he's just incredible. God is incredible. Do you know, we do fail. We take risks and we fail. I um, was so pumped after listening to Mark Marks in the morning when he was here about the miracle question. You know, the question when you say to somebody, you know, if Jesus could do a miracle in your life, what would you want it to be? And then kind of leading into a conversation. I was so excited that as we left in the morning, um, uh, I said to John, I, I, I want to pray for some people. And he said, well, I've got to go to B&Q. So we arrived at B&Q. <laughs> and John went into B&Q and I lingered around. I mean, you know, on my own. It was a bit crazy, looking for people. And anyway, I saw this couple come out of E&Q, meandering towards their car, so I thought they'd got a bit of time. So I walked out to them, and I said, um, can I ask you a question? And they said yes. And I said, um, 
if you could, uh, if you could ask Jesus for a miracle, what would it be? And um, she said immediately, safety and happiness for my children. And he said, 10 more miracles. So I said, can, can you be a bit more specific? And he said, no, no. And I said, well, can I pray for you? So they kind of agreed, and I started praying. Father, I just welcome you. Anyway, they walked off. <laughs> it was like the most embarrassing thing. How embarrassing to left standing there. But you see, we live in this tension. We take risks. We have to step out. We have to try and make a difference, but it doesn't always work. One day, one day, everything will be put right. One day, every tear will be wiped away. We're to keep giving away the blessing. You know, as we give the blessing away, people see what we do, and that in itself can be an incredible testimony. There was a girl here one Sunday morning. She was a Muslim girl, and she had come to Nottingham to stay with a friend, and her friend was ministering on the streets, and she watched how they prayed for people. And she was really impacted by the way they were praying for people with the love of God. She, she had an, uh, an awareness of God because she was Muslim, but she had no idea that through Jesus she could be connected to the Father heart of God. And uh, she came into the church on the Sunday morning, and she just talked to John and I about this experience she'd had. And we were able to say, do you want to know God as your Father? And we were able to lead her into a prayer to Jesus and to experience that. And it was so wonderful. Sometimes we need an encounter. We need an encounter of the Holy Spirit. More than sometimes, we need an encounter regularly because we leak. In Acts chapter one, Jesus tells the disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And they experienced power. In fact, Peter was remarkably changed. Peter had gone from being fearful, hiding, even denying Christ, and when he's filled with the Holy Spirit, he becomes bold, he moves from a place of fear to fearlessness, and he speaks to 3,000 people, and he shares the good news of Jesus, and thousands are converted. So we do this with God's help. We can do nothing without the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit fills us like God in the beginning when he breathes into the, into the nostrils of Adam. The Holy Spirit comes and he fills us by his power. We breathe him in. That's why when we say at the end, come Holy Spirit, we're breathing him in. We're being filled up with his power so that we can live the life that Jesus called us to live. The purpose is a supernatural purpose. It's a, it's a purpose of taking back what belongs to Satan. People out there are disappointed, confused. They don't know who they are. I remember the story um, of Brian. I don't know if you're here tonight, but you were telling me that, that the way you came to faith in Jesus, you were out clubbing with a friend, and you were having kind of a great time. You were drinking wine or something, and then you just found yourself saying uh, to your friend, is this it? Is this it? And she said, no come to my church. And, and he came, and his life changed, you know. Sometimes, some of you here are looking for direction. You're asking God a question, and you need someone to encourage you, maybe with a word of knowledge or a prophetic dream or something. There was a chap who came up to the front one evening. He wanted direction from God because he wondered whether he should go to Wales with uh, James and Jen, uh, who were planting in Cardiff. And he was seeking God, and the pa person who happened to come and pray for him, it was a divine appointment, because this chap said, I need a sign. I need something like a tattoo with the dragon, you know, the Welsh dragon. The guy praying for him rolls up his sleeve, and there is a dragon tattoo. And it was a most unlikely person who had this dragon tattoo. Amazing. 
I remember the story of Kat and Mary, um, who are in India at the moment. They are risking their lives and saving lives. They are seeing amazing things happen, and they are just such an incredible testimony of faithfulness and obedience to God. But, it, but when Mary tells the story, she says how she was wrestling with this sense of maybe God was calling her. And Tom is out here at the front, and he's giving out this word, and, and he has to repeat it three times. He has to say something to the effect, there's someone here, God is calling you to go overseas, and you're resisting him, or something like that. And then, oh, the first time it's someone calling, and then you're not here, you've not responded, you're resisting him, or something like that. And it went on. And by the third time, she, she was almost leaving, she had to come up for prayer. And, you know, it was a, an amazing thing, and they're doing an incredible thing. So we risk failure, we risk our lives, we risk everything for this incredible cause to live a supernatural life. Wouldn't it be great to be even more supernatural than we already are?